We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a for Spurs fans because you can't lose the North London Derby to Spurs if you beat yourself. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. You can't celebrate a win when the other team beat themselves. Those are the rules. Sorry, I don't make them. Spurs fans, you don't get to celebrate. Arsenal beat themselves in the Derby, thereby uh, denying Spurs what would have been a fun day, I'm sure, but they don't get to celebrate. At least that's how I'm going to remember it. Uh, Cannot validate any of the information I've just shared with you. But yeah, suffice it to say, a really bad day against a really bad team, and you just you just have to wonder how many freaking stars have to align for this team to show up and get a result in a big game, for goodness sake. Um, I, I realize big games aren't the only thing that matter, and honestly, I'd be willing to lose all of them if we could beat up on the bottom half of the table and get back into the top four, but we don't really do either because we're capable of losing to Brighton twice in a season, and we're capable of going to an empty Spurs stadium and losing to one of the worst Spurs teams I can remember to a horrible, nasty man of a coach who should never be allowed to be happy. But thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been the Arsenal Vision. <laughs> Look, you're going to have to stick around for the whole chat. Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter. Stoboto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Paul's here. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's here. He's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, I think that um, going into this game, the reason for my optimism was simply that I don't think we're good, but I thought they were worse. And they don't carry a lot of threat, and their defense is terrible. So the only thing you have to do in that situation is not gift them opportunities. Because as long as you don't gift them opportunities, they've shown that they really struggle to hurt the opposition. Now, admittedly, this plays into Jose's hands, a game where... 
you know, he can sit back and spoil the game and spoil the game and, and look for openings. I think that gives them too much credit because I, I don't think they did that. We'll get to that. But let's let's just go to the very start of the game as a harbinger for what was to continue. In the first five minutes, Cola gives the ball away. Louise gives the ball away. Mustafi gives the ball away. Tierney gives the ball away. We could not pass it to a red shirt out from the back. And the lack of technical quality, the lack of composure in the back line becomes the story of the game. But how do you... How do you account for the abject sloppiness and lack of control that we had right from the beginning under virtually no pressure? I, I don't. I can't account for it really. Um, basically, I was very surprised how we approached the game. I, I didn't expect. You know, we had a good preview, but didn't we? And none of us expected us to come out with less vibrancy than we did against Leicester. We thought, you know, North London derby would probably be similar vibrancy. We know that Spurs are going to drop into a middle or deep block, maybe, depending on how they feel. But I didn't expect such technical inadequacy. I just didn't expect it. And I, I don't know why. I must be stupid, because look at the names on the backs of the shirts. Right? They tell you everything you need to know. And, um, and I heard you and Tim talking about um, players reveal themselves to you. And I often think the opposition reveals exactly what you're not so good at. And I felt that Spurs allowed certain players to have the ball, went one-on-one with certain players, knowing they could block off certain channels. And what I actually think Spurs did is tell us about our strengths and tell us who they don't rate and tell us how many dopes we have in our back line. And everything we did in that first few minutes encouraged their game plan because I felt they just wanted to drop the ball onto our back three and watch them just give the ball away, wait for a mistake. Mm. But really what Spurs did quite cleverly was they took away our left side. And I think that was key by having... I did. We did sort of expect Sanchez to play because he always plays against Arsenal. Aurier, Sanchez, Sissoko. They're three big, powerful sprinters. And they said... We fancy we need to stop your left side because that's quite dangerous. But we're going to let your right side go. Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna gamble that your right side can't beat us. And I think that's exactly it worked out for me. And luckily, Aubameyang hit the bar. But yeah, the sloppiness really showed exactly how bad we are. And I, I know that you were trying to boost us up saying that Spurs are bad. I, I do think we need to have a close look at ourselves and say, okay, what's going on here? Well, we can the both be bad. Get, <laughs> <laughs> the, moment, the moment we get stretched, we show just how bad we are. And I tell you, I don't know why, but it just keeps surprising me when we hit those depths and I'll, I'll leave something for the rest of the lads to steam into. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. And, and uh, Paul, I'll come, on, I'll come to you next. I think the, the thing that, I struggle with, you know, we we played really well for a half against Leicester. And, you know, I think that that encouraged me, uh, as I expressed on that pod, I think it was very positive. I think my takeaway from that game was be excited, you know, jokingly, but also seriously, because going down to 10 men ruined that game for us. But there was a lot to like, I think, in the patterns of play. And maybe we didn't fully account for the fact that Leicester were without some key players and were playing a pretty makeshift defense, but we put them under some pressure. Um... You know, in this game, I think it was the first time I also really 
found myself back where I was a few weeks ago wondering why we're playing this formation with this group of players. Paul, I don't see adding another central defender as making your defense better. And as my evidence for this, I point to that performance. Um, I see it as taking out one player who's better on the ball, better in possession, better progressing. So like the thing that's really weird about this formation is that a lot of the ball progression and early ball progression winds up falling to Mustafi and Kolasinac as they push forward, which is like a worst case scenario. So in this game, and as the the patterns sort of developed, and it's not that we you know we're we're getting bossed by them, but the way we were giving the ball away, and and the way in particular Mustafi and and Kolo were playing, did you start to question you know why Arteta has settled not just on this formation, but this particular set of players in this formation? No, not at all. Um, I'll give it back to you. Uh, in a little bit so you can kind of develop your point a little more because uh, I'd like to hear more about it. Was, was, it, no, under, was it undercooked? <laughs> no. Okay. No, no, no. It's just, it's not yet. Uh, I'm not there yet. Okay. Um, yep. I mean, I definitely think we're better with three of the back. Um, I, You know, you mentioned the Leicester performance. There's also Wolves, a very, very capable, dangerous team that we did rather well against. Um, and like... The start of this game, there's like a four-minute period at the start where like almost every one of our defenders screws it up. Now, it doesn't matter if you've got two centre-backs, three centre-backs, or four centre-backs. Like, if that, if that's what you're going to do when pressed, um, you're going to make you're going to set the tone for a day that's very nervy um, and where clangers are going to be dropped. So I, I don't really know what that was all about but it wasn't a function of how many players we had at the back. Then I think in the first half, we kind of, we begun to hit our stride. Um, I'm not like, I'm not going to portray it as brilliant, wonderful or whatever, but had we had a f- second half, that was like the first half. We'd feel pretty different about this game. We might even have won it. Um, so it, it, maybe that covers lots of, uh, uh, or wallpapers over lots of problems we have. We, we, I'm not denying the problems are there or that the players are not at the level or the consistency we're looking for. But if you extend the first, if you throw away the first five minutes and you extend the rest of that first half into the second half, um, you know, that would, that's probably representative of where we've been, uh, late in this season. Um, Obviously, this is not a good Spurs team. They're bad, but they're bad like a fox with Mourinho there. Because you've got, I mean, they played into uh, uh, Clive's assessment of how they played against us. That that jibes true when I when I think it through. And then you got Harry Kane, who's very limited in some senses, but bloody world class when he's got a defender in front of him who he can play with. Uh, and just, you know, he may not have the athleticism he once had, but in a setup like that where they're catching us on the counter and you got uh, uh, Son there, I mean, two incredibly dangerous players. If you get the, if you can wheel Harry Kane into the box with the ball, you're in trouble. And unfortunately, the way we played in the second half in particular, but to some degree, we saw some of it in the first half. Um, you know that that's that's going to be a tough team to beat when you start when you run out of gas as we seem to do in the second half, which puzzles me a little bit. So, in in answer to your overall your initial question, do I 
do I have an issue with this three at the back, given that it doesn't make us any safer or better? I think it does make us safer. I think we've been much more solid in recent games. Um, and I think in terms of chance creation, we'll end up talking about our midfield. And yeah, we're piss poor in creating chances from the middle of the park. But then when your strategy is to create chances up the wings, yes, we're not creating enough, but we are creating them and we do look dangerous. And we did have our moments. And on top of the ones we'll remember, there's the one we forget where um, uh, Bellerin comes up the right wing early on. I think it's like 12 and a half minutes into the game and the ball goes across Aubameyang who missed times that makes little to no connection. It goes out to Tierney, who blasts it out. Um, and that, I, I don't mean that answers all our problems. I, I'm just saying that was our idea of chance creation, and we created them, and there were a number of them. Um, so, you know, the, these defeats hurt massively. Um, I certainly think... you. The, the only upside to a game like this is Mar- Arteta comes away with no romantic ideas of who these players are and what could happen in the wrong circumstances. A couple of a couple of my waifs and strays had nightmares of games. Uh, Cola, uh, you know, I, I've been excusing him as, yeah, okay. Um, well, like, why don't we come to, we, to if, individual yeah. performances in, in just sure. a bit? Because I, I think that's a good opening salvo, but we're certainly, we're going to cover... Those individual performances. So, are you are you okay if we push that back just a tiny bit? Yeah, I'll just I'll just surmise by saying um, I still like for this team. I still like three of the back. I think it mostly works. I think we've looked very coherent recently. And had we built on the first half and done even better in the second half, maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't feel this quite so much now. Yeah, and that's not me saying we were great, but uh, no. I get it. I get the three of the back. I get playing up the wings. Mm. Uh, we've created chances but not enough chances and it's kind of coherent yeah look i mean first of all another way of restating what you just said though was if we had done a little better in the first half and then played even better than we did in the first half in the second half we'd all be saying this was better and i totally agree with your premise um but we didn't good. um good. <laughs> look it's not that o- i think over to you clive okay it's not that i think three at the back is garbage because it's not. It's patently not. And it can be used well by some teams and poorly by others. I think, first of all, anytime you opt for a strategy, a system, where you put more of the bad players on the pitch and fewer of the good players on the pitch, you have to ask yourself, am I getting enough back structurally to overcome the fact that I'm playing more bad players? And, you know, I think maybe sometimes we, we buy our own headlines. Maybe Arteta fell a little too much into the trap, and I, I was guilty of this too, of thinking... But aren't you playing just one additional bad player by, by your by your scenario? Yes, although I think if you're playing a back four, then... So what you need in the back three, the Mustafi and Cola positions push further up the pitch. They have more ball progression responsibility. They have to be more mobile, which I think takes a guy like Holding out of the equation. Now, I don't think Holding is amazing. Don't get me wrong. I think what it means, though, is he's not an option. Whereas, could you could you play Holding and Louise in a two? I mean, look, there's no good two. There's no good two. There's no good three. So the question becomes, you know, is there another way to set this up? And, and by the way, maybe there isn't. Maybe the players are just that bad, and we'll come on to that. But let me just say this. I sort of reject the idea that we are creating enough. And I do think we played okay in stretches of this game. Tim, I, you know, one of the things I didn't love about Emery 
is that Emery didn't have a philosophy, didn't have a philosophy, didn't have a philosophy. And then like something would work. So he'd stick with that. He's like, oh, this is my philosophy. This is what I do now. And then it would stop working and he'd flail around and try to find something else. Um, I I certainly don't think that's the case with Arteta. I think there are clear patterns and things that we see with Arteta that are important to him. But he wasn't a back three guy when he arrived. I mean, not that coaches can't be fluid in their philosophy. I'm sort of curious, though. Do you think that this system is, I hate to invoke Emery in this way, but is something that he did it, he got a good performance out of the team doing it and, and a result, and so he's just continuing to do it because, similar to Emery, he's having a hard time putting this jigsaw puzzle together in a way where it doesn't look like it's a puzzle of poop, um, for, for lack of a better turn of phrase. I mean, how much of this do you think is what Arteta wants to be doing with this side, and how much of it do you think is almost a desperation of clinging to whatever little piece of success he's able to muster with a really bad group of players? Yeah, well, Emery wasn't a back three guy, and neither was Wenger. Um, but they both went there. Great and point. They yeah. both went mm-hmm. there for the, yeah, they both went there for the same reason, right? Because they were like, "Whoa, this is bad back there." Um, and it's interesting because Arteta talked about in the build-up to this game being tactically flexible, and he talked about being able to play a few different formations. I, d- I don't blame him for sticking with this while it works. I, I think what will be interesting now is how he responds now that it. I, I say now that it hasn't. My my um my con- I, I I kind of agree with what Paul said there. I think my contention is. Um, and I'll, I'll back myself a bit here by saying that I have been saying this throughout, even when we were winning. Most of the games we've won, bar Norwich, have been on tight margins. And I've, I have been saying this for a few weeks. I think all of the games have gone more or less the same. It's just small margins have dictated which way they go. Um, so like the small margins went against us in this game and Brighton, the small margins went for us, Southampton and Sheffield United, for example. I think all four of those games were broadly the same um, with small variants. And and I guess the conundrum w- would always you add in Wolves to, too, Tim, because that was one I, I felt. Yes, I don't think that. Yeah, can I just goal. jump in? I don't think Wolves was a good performance. I think Wolves was a tactically coherent display where we kind of yeah. just nullified and the game I don't think that game ever fizzed or sizzled or bubbled or anything. and I'm not saying it should yeah, they're a no, good but team we but controlled yeah yeah it was yeah, yeah. anyway go, and go ahead or I missed trail I missed an absolute sitter yep. at one yeah. nil and mm-hmm. that that's one of the small margins that goes for you yeah. um and so yeah I I think there's been basically controlled is maybe how I'd describe pretty much all of these performances we controlled most of this game we didn't do much with that control so the conundrum always comes back to we're we're playing on small margins here at the moment and it's it's a bit mid-table right because 50% of the time they go for you and 50% of the time they don't is broadly what happens and we've got a shitload of draws Um, I think we've drawn more than any other team um, possibly the exception of Wolves but anyway 14 I think it is 14 draws yeah Mm -hmm. So what we're showing you is Arsenal can't and don't often like just build on periods of dominance, score a few goals and put games beyond teams. There's there's an element of it, it's pretty much always on a knife edge, which which is also a problem for you when you're dealing with fatigue and you're constantly either battling to hold a result or you know, battling to get one, albeit this is the first time, that last 10 minutes was the first time that Arsenal have actually been behind in the proper sense of the word since City. And it's the first time we've had to chase something 
because Brighton scored so late that we never got the chance to chase it and we were never chasing City at any point despite being behind. So this was the first time we really had to go for we had we really had to go for it particularly in the last 10 minutes but I, the, the conundrum just always comes back to which margins do you want to try and minimize? Do you want to try and minimize Mustafi having to defend 40 yards of space and losing his tiny little mind um, and letting someone throw on goal? Or do you want to maximise the margin where, and this is where I'm sure we'll come on to this, I thought that the dis, the really disappointing thing for Arteta for me was the substitution, the sack of Pepe. Totally unimaginative, ver- verging on pointless. If you're Tottenham and you see that substitution, what do you do? nothing you mm-hmm. go okay thanks we'll just carry on doing exactly what we're doing cheers mm, yeah it gives them nothing to think about take out one of those center halves put Saka in midfield extra midfielder now you've created jeopardy you've got them thinking Mourinho's sitting there going oh shit do I have to respond to this now what do I do now if you're the defenders you're thinking oh no they've got another guy coming at us what what do we do to offset this straight swaps which is pretty much all Arteta has done is straight swaps that don't really change a lot. They, they just don't do enough. And, is it a lack of tactical creativity, though, or is it a lack of trust in what he has to choose from? I mean, I thought the subs both, were, were really, really bad. <laughs> both, both. But in this scenario, for me, there was no reason not to go, okay, we'll take a defender out. You know, what are we going to lose by taking Kolasinac or Mustafi out in the last 20 minutes of this game? Not a lot. Um, even if you don't think they're going to make a stupid mistake and give them something to think about. But he did. That's where he did. Like, I can un- I can completely un- like I, d- I wasn't uh, lobbying for us to change the formation before this game. I did wonder if there was something we could do a little bit different. And that's why we speculated about the front three. And I'm sure we'll come on to that later. But at least in the middle of the game, when it's settled into a pattern, do something to disrupt it, because we had this. We had this horseshoe football again that we had on, at the end of the Wenger reign and this illusory sterile dominance. And something had to happen to change that because nothing did. We had all of the ball and we just did so little with it. And I think that's the point where, you know, again, to come back to something said a few weeks ago, I never understood why Wenger got shit for his substitutions. I thought he was good at them yeah. because he, he treated it very simply. Put attacker on and we attack more. It's, you know, sometimes it's that simple, particularly when the game is stretched. And that's what that's what disappointed me, that he didn't change it in the middle of the game when we were in the ascendancy and the game had fallen into a pattern, but it needed something different. Because honestly, even if Spurs don't score to make it 2-1, at 1-1, like what were we doing at 1-1? At what point were we going to score a goal? We weren't. It was just going to finish 1-1. Like we'd finished as an attacking force in the game and we could only lose it from there. Yeah, and I mean, I want to make a point here about the quality of the performance. I think we've fallen to such depths that when we're controlling the ball, I mean, we had 62% possession in this game, we we think we're outplaying the opposition. And I I think we did outplay them. I want to be clear. This wasn't a Jose backs-to-the-wall masterclass where he hit us on the counter. They were bad. They couldn't play it out from the back. They were giving it away to us. We were comfortably getting into their into their attacking third. We just couldn't do anything with it there, and I think it's a lack of quality, and I think we're missing an extra player there. But like, just to put this in perspective, since January, the only teams to muster less XG against Spurs were Everton and Bournemouth. That's it. 
Now, I realize, and because and Paul will pull me up on this if I don't mention it, Obama Yang has the best chance in the entire game, but doesn't make contact, and so it doesn't register any XG there. So that that is a flaw in that in that model. I understand that, but again, as much as the focus in this game is going to wind up being the, the clown shoe defending, and understandably because we shot ourselves in the foot, and we lost the game for ourselves. But with that dominance, I, I still think we are not creating enough chances, and that is a problem that will have to be corrected. And Clive, why don't you talk me through sort of what you saw in patterns of play? But one thing that I think is a big missed opportunity in this game and why the Kolasinac thing is the whole game. I agree with James on the Arscast who said that was the whole game because what would that game have looked like if we had 15, 20 minutes to play with a lead and Spurs had to try to build through that terrible midfield, try to apply a little more pressure on us because we were comfortably in control without creating enough. But if they had to come out, that could have changed a lot, and, and Kolasinac hands them the ability to go right back to plan A. They never had to go to plan B. So maybe you can talk me through what you saw, but also how that changed, that that unfortunate inability to, to play in a period of dominance really cost us the game. Yeah, I've got a bit of a hangover today after yesterday's uh, <laughs> drinking, so I'm, I'm trying to – should I just try to just erase the back three defenders because they were also – Average, I mean, yeah, average. Perhaps, average is a, a, a kindness to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that that's a that for that mistake, that's a that's a criminal mistake. Pass safe side, everyone knows that you pass safe side away from the goal. You don't pass on the striker side, and it's just it's basic Sunday league football. Um, so let's just forget that. I think going forward, we got a decision to make. The back three is the reason why the last three coaches have arrived at the back three is because our players are so bad. They've had to find a way to shore it up, right? We've got no defenders that can run into into big spaces, so reduce the space. We have wing backs that can run and not really good at holding their position. So let's give them let's give them room to run. Mm-hmm. And we have a set midfielder that like that, that can't really run. So what we do, we we put them in an armchair. What is he doing? We made a decision before. We all I think all of us picked the um, Saka, Pepe, and uh, Aubameyang front three. And in this game, it was something that we missed actually. In this game, we were worried about Aubameyang having to press. You know what? Spurs just blew it long. There was no pressing from Lacazette, really, in this game. No pressing. So he could have had Aubameyang there. And what that would have done, that would have, would have created a box midfield. Two up, who can take the ball back to go in Pepe and Saka and turn around and combine, and two behind. So what we had was, was a false sense of security in this game. So I heard everybody praising Tobias, and he did fine. But I'm sorry, mate. They came into a midfield with us, with Lacelso and Winks, and Sabias and Shaka just passed to each other the whole game. It's ridiculous. That is not what you do. Spurs told Saka and Sabias, we don't rate you. We're going to go one-on-one with you in there, and we don't think you can hurt us. And all Shaka did was get it from Sabias, knock it to Tierney, get it back. And all Sabias did was to Bellerin, to Mustafi, to Shaka. Not enough to Pepe, though he got more off to him. Not enough beating of the man. We don't break through lines. One-on-one, we are poor. So what they do is say, we don't think you can beat us one-on-one. So we're just going to stand. And and if you do beat us one-on-one, we're going to take you out. We're going to foul you. But we haven't got enough of those one-on-one merchants who take it. Like like Tobias was doing against Leicester. Coif around the corner, and he was off into any of that in this game or not enough of it in this game and we know Shaka can't do it but they're telling us about ourselves 
they said, Bellerin, yeah, you can charge up and down there. We'll we'll chase after you and we'll and we'll just watch one of your crosses go out. Right? So we're not we're not we're not worried about you there. We are worried about Tini. We are worried about Yang sneaking on that side. So we're going to block you there. So what we needed to do was have another creative player in there. And Saka, in hindsight, well, not hindsight, we all said it, should have played. I know Lacazette Roof won, but he doesn't offer enough creativity. He doesn't show himself enough. Neither does Yang. Pepe's the only one, and then we took him off when he was just heating up. He was the only one playing between the lines. He was the only one turning around and running and carrying and threatening, and the only one that was going to shake up the shape of Spurs. And so really, I always say, another team tells you who you are, and all Spurs did was drop the ball onto our three donut defenders and just try to block off one side. They didn't do a lot. Don't sit there and think this was a masterclass. It wasn't a masterclass. We gave them two goals. They were terrible. Yeah, exactly. We gave McGonagher a set piece. I mean, Jesus. And Reno's walking off smiling like he's some sort of genius. It's rubbish. We have to be better at doing what we're doing. I totally agree with Tim. Taking off Pepe was the wrong thing to do. You can do lots of things. Don't do that. Because you're not creating anything different for them. Mm. Just keep as many dribblers and carriers and, and agile players on the pitch make those big lumps value put them into booking trouble start to make shape them start to stress them we haven't got the players that stress you because we can't do it i, I can't stress to you enough what one-on-ones really is i just watched my son at the academy i used to do one-on-one training it was it was terrifying one-on-ones reveal everything you've got and you haven't got one-on-ones is everything in the game. And we don't have enough people that win their battles technically and physically and one-on-one challenge people to break shapes. We don't. And so we're talking about Sabayas, we're talking about Shaka. I'm telling you, they're both not good enough. They're both not good enough. Bellerin, I mean, not good enough. Not mm. good enough for this team. Let's not talk about the back three, and I include all of them. Not good enough for this team to get to the next level. level. Lacazette is not consistent enough, not good enough, doesn't challenge, can't do enough things. The quality is low, and what we're doing is we're putting a system in place to maximise as much stability and, and ball playing, and as much as we possibly can, we should get us into the top eight. That's, that's where we are, and until mm. we make these changes... And I heard you talk about it. I'm not. I'm not preaching to you because I know you're in a similar place. I am the choir. <laughs> until 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 we make these changes and have an honest conversation about the quality of our players and what's required to move us forward, let's not spend too much time. We're we're a post match podcast, right? So we want to praise people. We're fans. Let's not spend too much time praising people that can't really do it when it really counts. Yeah. Uh, look. Let's I- not. I think you've nailed it. I I will disagree only in the sense that you said they can't take us up a level. I think a player like Bellerin or Ceballos could could on the fringes get you to top four with enough good players around them. They're should certainly I tell, should not I tell you why? Should I tell you why Bellerin can't? Because we want to play a back four, don't we? We want to be a four three three team, and well, we I've had a anyway. good <laughs> look. Yeah, we think we do, right? So, and I've had a good look, and I don't think. In a back four, he's solid enough. He's solid enough on the outside, and he doesn't play the the tucked in role 
in a way that I think it should be played. Can I praise you for something here real quick on Bellerin analysis? You were the first person to draw my attention to this, that his first touch is inside, that he closes his body. And I watched it in this game, and I got to give you credit, Clive, because there were a couple instances where Pepe was running in behind, and he had green grass in front of him, and he couldn't get it out fast enough because his first touch closed his body down, so he couldn't... He couldn't open his body and feed it into Pepe, and by that time, you know, you only have a moment to play that through ball. So you called that out. So, so one, yeah, one yeah, last yeah. thing I noticed: Pedrick's got a, he's got different passes. He's got different layers: left foot, right foot, and he's got length for pass. He's got different shapes to his game, and I think we need that. We need more people that can do more things on the ball. We are incredibly predictable. You know, I can see it incredibly predictable. And the unpredictable players that we have, we whipped them off. And then we and we've grown to love Saka and because he can just do what the game requires and he can do quite a few things. And we needed more of that skill set in this team to mm. win this game. Well, so Paul, let's talk Pepe for a second, because he's seventy two million pounds, he's supposed to be the future, and it's an interesting game because for fifteen to twenty minutes I thought he was well, I would have said the worst player on the pitch. Let's assume for a minute that Mustafi and Luis and Kolasinac aren't players. So he was the worst player on the pitch, those players notwithstanding. Um, and then he came alive a little bit, and he started to get in the half space, and, and he was able to run the channels a bit, and he was able to push defenders back. Pepe's issue right now is you don't want to put you don't want to put a, a, a dampener on him and say, you can't try to beat a man. You can't dribble. You can't take the extra touch because he's so good when he does it. It feels like he's a player who still hasn't decided when it's time to release and make the pass and when it isn't. And I I hesitate to bring up Gervinho, but I will. There is somewhere between a, a, a pacey, dribbly guy who can never get the end product right and a pacey, dri- pacey dribbly guy who gets the end product. You have, you know, the difference between Gervinho and, you know, Raheem Sterling. And so it is sort of, I guess, a question of which way Pepe is going to be. But this 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 was a really confounding performance because depending on which portion of the game you focus on, you could have seen him as one of our worst players or one of our bright spots. So I'm curious which way you saw it um, and whether you agree that when he came off in a like-for-like switch, which I feel Tim was pretty emphatic on not enjoying, um, if that if that was a bad move. So I think Tim made a great case on why that was a poor substitution. But I think Pepe should have been substituted. Um, If we do a little pop quiz, um, only one of our players was dispossessed nine times in this game. Guess who it was? It was Pepe. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna, sorry, you're gonna sorry, anger me. I, you're gonna anger me. I, I could see you were going to get the glory there, so I decided to grab it back from you. Um, we were obviously having all sorts of problems on that wing and the tighter we got the more exposed i mean it was just you just wanted to cover your eyes for what was going on on mustafi's side um so i get i get the logic of saying hey how about we get somebody who's actually pretty good at holding on to the ball saka uh and keeping whatever it was he was trying to do now i agree with tim the better move is to to bring on Saka and give them all sorts of things to think about but I can see why Pepe was the man sacrificed he also had the lowest outfield passing uh, percent across the team uh, he was at like 81% while say Obama Yang was at 90% and uh, not to get too carried away on body language but uh, we've, we've seen him recently maybe it was the Sheffield 
United game. Um, I think he played like 90 minutes in that, and he looked he looked like he was growing into himself within the team. Uh, he looked much more assertive, much more confident. In this one, he was the little lost boy again, doing his own thing, uh, which was sometimes helpful, often not, given given the team tiring, the legs going, the pressure we were under at the back. I think probably uh, Arteta saw one too many of those and thought, fuck this. Um, it, it's going to hell in the handbasket. Let's not accelerate it. So... Uh, if Arteta, obviously we need to turn Pepe into the player that this team needs and we spent the money on. Um, if he can get the tune out of him that he saw a few games ago when he looked like he was finally kind of manning up to to his role within the team, carrying himself in a certain way with a certain swagger, a certain confidence where he's where he's connected to the other players. But in this game, it was back to little lost boy not doing good things but not connected to anybody not connected and maybe the part of the reason that Bellerin doesn't pass to him is just not been on the same wavelength and and that's a two-way street Um, I mean I've got to get in here I I, I don't think Bellerin's starting position is, is good I don't think his shape is good I don't think any of our front three work hard enough to show people their boots to receive the ball, any of them. I thought they were all poor. And I, and I will say I thought Pepe was showing signs, first 50 minutes aside, that he was causing them problems. And sometimes in the game, you have to rec- you have to see the, the guy that's causing you problems that can cause them a problem. And I thought he was the one with his skill set that could cause them a problem. Maybe there's somebody that we don't know had a first child, maybe not trained enough. Maybe that was always the plan that they were going to share the game. But I felt we needed both of them on, Saka and Pepe, to make them think they were our one-on-one merchants. And that's the only way we're going to move their bodies around was by having one-on-one merchants. We have 14 draws, you guys. At some point, Arteta's going to have to say, we're a team that goes and scores goals and gets three points. And like, especially in a derby where a draw does no one any good in that game, your only chance at European football and St. Tottenham's Day, not that coaches are supposed to care about that, but they care what fans care about, is to win the game. Go try to win the game. And I just think we have become a team that our fear of the weakness at the back has led us to not play aggressive attacking football in an attempt to mitigate the problems we have behind us. Now, what I will say with Pepe is... I agree and I disagree. It's funny. I thought Bellerin had a good game in some ways. When he touched it inside and dribbled past a guy, he did good things. What he didn't do well that I noticed sort of on second watching is a lot of runs that he he was not body shaped, as, as Clyde points out, to play the ball in behind because his first touch closed him down, took him inside. He had that nice drive towards the top of the box where he takes the shot that ricochets to Aubameyang for the, the really nice chance that, that Lloris turns around the corner. But like, I, I just think... With Pepe, you paid 72 million pounds. He's a guy who is an immense threat on the ball, who's not kind of clicking yet. I think at some point you just say, you know what? Fuck it, dude. You're going to start playing 90 minutes every game, and it's either going to click for you or it's not, but we're going to find out. You're going to score us goals, and you're going to get assists, or you're not, because it's the Alexis thing. Don't quote me dispossessed on a player like that, because you know, and that's not to you, Paul. I, I, I get it. I'm just saying, like, I'm not interested because it's the Alexis thing. Alexis Sanchez was a hard player for some people to like because the ball was at his feet a lot and it didn't come off a lot and he gave it away a lot. Now, look, right now, Pepe isn't fit to lace Alexis's boots. I'll grant you that. 
But, but, but Elliot, when you see, uh, I, I, I'm with you on that, except when you see what's going on behind him in the Mustafi area of the pitch, which you can put on Mustafi, but as Arteta, you've got a game to win and not lose further, right? So you can't ignore the spills, and Saka doesn't spill it like that. I, no, I, look, I get you, but I guess what I would say is I reject that the change should have been one to secure things. I think that the change should have been one to push forward. So, Tim, th- this this is really the whole ball of wax for me. I, I think it's in midfield, and I, I think it is the problem that no manager could solve. You pointed out that Arsene Wenger went to a back three, Emery went to a back three, and now Arteta's playing a back three. The ever-present, by the way, during that period of time has been Granite Xhaka in midfield, who has never finished in the top four for us. And that it's not just his fault. I think Granite Xhaka is a 7 out of 10 player just about every game. He doesn't have a lot of lows. He doesn't, I mean, it's not that he doesn't have highs. But a lot of managers now have been unable to craft a three-man midfield with him in it, despite having a lot of different pieces around him. Ceballos mm. starred in this game again. But you just can't control a game when you have two midfielders like that nothing in zone 14 nothing central again if you look at our pass map you can just draw a nice big fat circle in the middle of the pitch at the top of the box and there's nothing going through there and it for all of the control we had in this game and all the great things Danny Ceballos did and again another performance that gets you really excited about his potential the the danger isn't there if you gave me 200 million pounds to spend on Arsenal this summer and you said you can only spend it in one department I'd spend it in midfield. So, mm. do you mind if I just read you... I, I promise this is leading to a question where you can talk, uh, given that yeah, you've yeah. been shut out here for a little while. But you were on the instant reaction pod, so... You yeah. know. Um, I just want to read to you three paragraphs. They're, they're short paragraphs. <laughs> um, from uh, Scott's uh, By the Numbers column, okay? Because... Scott's by the numbers column touched on the midfield, okay? And I, I yep. think it is incredibly illuminating. And, and I'm not going to read you the parts about, you know, what the defense did and stuff like that because we know how bad they are, okay? Here we go. What this match hammered home for me is that Arsenal are just not getting enough creativity from midfield. I was looking at where Arsenal's midfielders rank compared to other groupings in the Premier League before the match, and it is dismal. Arsenal's midfielders create just 0.86 key passes per match. That's total, not per player. Less than one key pass per match. Ranks 14th in the league. Arsenal's midfielders create 0.06 expected assists per match. So even on the rare occasion they create chances, they're not very likely to be converted. That ranks 19th ahead of only relegated Norwich. Arsenal's midfielders are not contributing to shots with 0.48 shots per match from open play. Ranks 19th, just ahead of Everton. Our midfielders of shy of getting into the box. 1.3 touches in the box. Ranks 17th in the league. Okay? So, when you're 17th in midfield touches in the box, 19th in midfield shots, 19th in midfield expected assists, and 14th in midfield key passes, I just don't know how you can look at your midfield and say, nah, mate, we got it. This is good. How, yeah. how critically must we focus on midfield and address midfield such that A, we can go back to a three-man midfield and B, start seeing the midfield as a as a path to goals? Because right now it is not yeah. it is not even remotely viewed as a way to create goal opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's why I liked the, um, the, the Saka going into left central midfield. I, th- I thought that was like a, mm. I thought that was, that was a really nice innovation and, and now he's kind of ending up 
rotating with Pepe on the right, which which I don't love quite as much. That this is a really weird one because with um, I, I think there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, it's Jack is a bit of a conundrum player, right? Because partially this isn't entirely his fault or Sabios's fault. We don't have that player between the lines. We we when you think about the players who've gone, Özil is not playing at the moment. Ramsey's gone. Iwobi's gone. Mkhitaryan's gone. None of those players were perfect, but they at least stood between the lines. And Ozil is no longer really creating goals anymore, but he at least offered a roadmap to get the ball from the middle to the final third just by standing there. And uh, as we can see, nobody really stands there. So uh, in one respect, it's kind of not Xhaka's fault because there's nothing really for him to hit. Um, and particularly... Now we've kind of decided that um, that Saka shouldn't be that third central midfielder because we need the third centre half. I, I think and one of the Tim, to your point, do you remember that ball Chaka uh, zipped up the middle to um, Lacazette when he dropped into that spot? It was kind of late in the later in the second half, and uh, maybe put a little too much mustard on it. But it reminded you of what happens when you get a player between the lines. There, yeah, he, he may not be the most most prolific but he can do it he can do it yeah yeah absolutely um and and and, you know he had he had quite a good part when you look back in 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 our goal in terms of pressing Aurier and that was obviously you know Clive talked about targeting weaknesses that was obviously somewhere we targeted we we were told quite rightly get on Aurier um, which is what made that substitution taking Pepe off even more confusing to me I, I think one but on the other hand the reason we don't have that player between the lines because we need the third centre-back. And I don't think that's just on the centre-backs. It's mainly on them. But it is kind of on Xhaka as well. Xhaka needs a back three behind him because of the lack of mobility. So part of that is actually because, you know, like I said on the instant reaction pod, there are too many of these players who need a bib and they need their manager to cut their vegetables and their meat for them and limit the amount of space they play in. Unfortunately, Xhaka is one of those players. He's more competent maybe than the centre-halves we have, but we still have to do it for him. And and I think what teams have worked out as well is in the last few games, Arsenal have had a real left-sided bias, really zipping the ball up that left flank, and teams have seen it now, and they've seen that the players responsible for progressing the ball up that left-hand side are Kalas and Achin Xhaka. So what do you do? You just you just stop them getting the ball on their left foot. It's it's really... Well, Kalas and Achin, you don't have to do anything because there's like a 40% chance he'll just give you the ball under no pressure anyway. Mm. Tim, did, but, they, did we actually stop them or can they actually do it quickly enough to get the runs? That, well, that's, that's the thing as well. So the way Arsenal... Have, have like an exit strategy from defensive to the middle third. They have that kind of diamond where Louise is at the base of it. They've got the, the centre-backs pushed out wide and then one of Xhaka or Ceballos comes in. And what teams have worked out now is, okay, let them do that. Um, we, we don't get pressed as much now. The last few games have shown you that everyone started doing what they used to do against Arsenal, which is just put everyone back. Because they've kind of worked out, well, you know what? Don't bother pressing their centre halves because just all right, hit it long get into the, the channels and let them fuck it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I think where Xhaka is no longer in that armchair in the kind of left centre back, uh, left central midfield role, is that 
once you move him up to the halfway line, then you close him down. And and what we're seeing time and again is he's having to go backwards because he can't because he's a Goldilocks distributor, right? He needs the ball. Ex- it has to be just right. And and once it's just right, he's a brilliant distributor. But it has to be just right. It has to be on his left instep, and he has to have time to turn into it. And 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 we're not. He's not being given that quite as often as he was. And so then he goes backwards. And who does he go backwards to? Kalasanach. Well, what good is that? Really, so there are there are issues in our build up, and there are issues with Xhaka just not quite being mobile enough, just not having that turn or that shimmy out of pressure. And all that's happening basically is teams are going, okay, we'll let you, we'll leave you alone in your in your own half. The second you hit the halfway line, we'll just step on your left foot, and then we'll say, go on, then do something with your right, and you won't, and you'll pass it backwards. And it's just, it's a lack of dynamism there it really really is and um and it's 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 an issue it's a real issue for us not to have a player there who i mean he's a one-trick pony shaka right and i know that sounds harsh because he's not a terrible footballer at all and his his one trick's quite a good one but if you stop him doing it you you completely stop him and it's not that difficult to do Mm. it seems so many Issues are addressed by playing Saka off the left and le- mm. with license to drift into midfield. Uh, it's on Chaka's side. Uh, it, it allows Tierney to bomb up and down, which he seems to be more than capable of doing. So you get in creation on that side. But it leads you into the Aubameyang, Lacazette, etc. discussion, which is apparently the third rail of Arsenal tactics. Yeah. You, you just can't touch it. I, I, look, I, it just comes down to technical quality at some level too. I, there, at, at one point, I was doing hot mic, and at one point, I I just asked out loud, "Did they not cut the grass at, at the ground? Is this some Jose m- m- mental trick?" Because balls were barely making it to their targets. Did you guys notice that all day? The way to passes was bad, slow rolling out to just getting to players, like not the crispness, not snapping into it. Yet Danny Ceballos stripping quality all over the ball, over the pitch, and the rest of the team just rolling balls to the teammate. They have to wait for it, and the run is gone. And then a couple of instances where Tierney was trying to run in behind and balls massively overhit. Louise hitting long balls, you know, out in a touch. Just, I, I think you, we, you we try to find... You cycling term, term, Elliot, bonking, right? Yeah. You ever heard of it? Yeah, yeah, where you just kind of hit a wall. Yeah, yeah. like That's in true. the Pyrenees... <laughs> or the Alps or whatever. And it, like, if you take the first four minutes and you take the second half and how much we ran out of gas, and like you say, how poorly in ways we we stroked it around, how we weren't on the same wavelength. Was this just one of those games where, yes, all the problems we're talking about, all the issues with these players, uh, you know, when when the water level drops enough, you see the rocks. And this was, a, this was the game we bunked on. Maybe, I, I think I would say it slightly differently, which is that Arteta had yoked a better performance out of a mediocre group of players for a few games and they re- reverted yeah. to the mean in my in my estimation. I mean, Clive, the, the technical quality isn't good enough anywhere on the pitch. And, you know, as much as we talk about athletes or defenders or things like that, when you can't snap the ball into a teammate in the right timing, I mean, you, you always talk about how the first touch gives your teammates a signal and all day long, Ceballos on the half turn, pushing forward and balls taking an eternity to get into positions or, or players not, you know, not timing passes with runs. The technical level has to come up. It For me, it still comes back to, though, 
Arteta's picking two guys in Mustafi and Kolasinac in positions that now have a lot more responsibility for being part of that buildup and part of that that ball progression. And and it really burned him in this game. Do you have any way of explaining what happened to Mustafi? I think, you know, I've been praising that he just stayed on his feet. And early in this game, actually, ironically, he has a duel with Kane where he's running mm. with Kane. He's backpedaling, backpedaling, backpedaling. And then right on the edge of the box, the left half space, left channel, he takes it off his foot. And he does brilliantly. And I'm on the hot mic uh, going. Lucas Mora. It was, it was Mora. You're right. It wasn't Kane. It was Mora. Um, thank you for that because I've been saying it wrong for two days now. Um, <laughs> and they don't particularly look alike. Uh, and actually, I thought Mora was their best player on the day, to be fair. But the 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 play happens where it's a long ball over the top. The only thing Spurs did all, all day, by the way. One trick point. Just hit it long into the channels and let the, as Tim would say, they're find the dopes. Well, all of them back there are dopes. So he hits it long. It comes to Kane. Kane's first touch gets past Mustafi. Mustafi weakly tries to push him down. He rounds him easily. And from that moment on, Clive, Mustafi's brain broke and he became a highlight reel of every bad thing he's done at Arsenal in two and a half seasons. Can you explain the 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 mental breakdown we witnessed him have from that moment on in the game, and and whether he's now back in that weird zone of you just can't play the guy? So, as I was watching the game yesterday, I, I was not overly devastated, um, and I don't know why that was. Well, actually, I think it's because. Have you been drinking, Clive? I had, and I, my mood is um, very much um, unpredictable when I'm drinking. So <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. God bless your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't overly devastated, and the reason why is because all I could see was clarity, clarity of the levels, and it's like, okay, there's the ceiling. There you go. Because on my news now feed, they talk about Mustafi getting a contract last week. I'm thinking, oh, that's not really what we need to be doing and that we're thinking about. We have to we have to agree, Klasnik played pretty well in the last game against Leicester. He was dominant in the air, he was sharp in the challenge, and we were thinking, oh, is this is the best way to use him. Right, we all picked him to start. Right. So and then, then you see David Louise, the player we brought on for just these big games and big moments. He just didn't look he had one of those you know the face when you see it. I can't explain it but you just know when he's not in the room. You can just see it. He's not in the room. He's stroking the balls around really slowly, encouraging them, encouraging them, encouraging them. And he, there was a bit when it flashed to Jose and it said, and he was just, uh, he was just talking to his players, and he just did that up and over signal. Up and over. Just up and over, yeah, up and over. Just drop it on their heads. Drop it on their heads. They're so stupid. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and Mustafi, what he tried to do with, with Kane... Was he tried to block a cross when <laughs> the game just dummied him? He looked like an idiot, right? He looked like he's getting a hot dog. He's just rubbish, right? So, mm-hmm. and it, and it's all caused by stress. They stressed him, and I, there needs to be a moment of recognition when you've got a player being picked on. You need to tuck in next to him. You need you better. You need to see it. Someone needs to see it and drop him in because you were too high too early and you weren't going around people on the outside. So why are you so high so early so you can't get back in to support the guy that's obviously they're piling in on? And eventually it cost us. I think that was a miss, miscommunication somewhere. Um, but we know that we know the limits of this player. He's, you know, I think he's done a really good recovery job to get himself back to being a, a half-decent player for us. So we wouldn't have had those recent wins without him. But please, enough. 
back to Bundesliga you go for 10 million and let's get somebody that's, well, we've already got the player, that's over six foot, that if he's alone in a, in a space more than five yards, he won't shit himself. Do you see what I mean? We need to get these people that can do this job properly. You you know, you need, if you want to play a back four, you need two defenders that can cover wide spaces and cover behind them and snap in in front and don't get bullied on set pieces. There you go, prerequisite. Why have you ever bought a five foot ten, ten and a half that can't run? They can only play in the back three at best. Why we ever did that was a failing of the club. And why do we go and buy, you know, I will say, why do we go and buy another couple of English lads that can't run in behind, that are slow? You know, they can't do it. Why do we do that? This is why Cashel only got played till he broke, because he's the only one with the pre with the attributes that we actually need. Right? So we overplayed him. Why do we buy these players that actually can't do the job? Look around the league and say to myself, I need a defender that's going to stop Mane, Salah, Abraham, Aguero. If these players can't do that, I can't be buying them. Mm. It's I, as simple as that. But, but can, can I make it a little simpler? Because frankly, like we're not at a point where we should be worried about beating Liverpool and City. We need to beat the bottom 14. If they can't stop Mope, we, we shouldn't buy them. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fucking well, hell. It's, it's if you can't stop it. Mope, <laughs> don't buy them. Mope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these players... All these teams have got strong running athletic forwards and they look at Arsenal and they see, all they see is encouragement. They see encouragement because of what we saw against Spurs. Yeah, that's it. We saw that situation where we just give people a chance. And it, it's, I was surprised by the inaccuracy. I've got to be honest. I, I know it. I, I know they've got it in them. I never expect it to be so bad. Not against Spurs. That's the day when concentration needs to be top. And it just wasn't. And I think that's a crying shame. Crying shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, too, you talk about Mustafi not being tall enough. The irony of Mustafi is he's absolutely magnificent in the air. <laughs> that's that's not his problem. He just, he's like a piece of spaghetti. I can't understand what he does. He just, he he had a nervous breakdown it's that simple uh paul come back to you one second i just want to get one thing from tim real quick tim uh, look i feel like anytime we we say anything about the manager that isn't just i love arteta and i wanted to be here 10 years you get yourself in hot water i can only evaluate what he's doing and and say i like this i don't like that okay so Mm. this isn't me like having to go at him but you know pep is an innovator but Pep is innovating where every player he puts on the pitch is one of the best in the world because they have endless resources, right? Mm. Um, it, it's not a situation where we have that kind of luxury. Is there an argument that we need a coach who will just say, until things change, I'm putting the best players on the pitch? So... Aubameyang's going to be at striker, and Saka's going to be at left wing, and Pepe's going to be at right wing, and Torreira's going to sit and shield the defense, and Ceballos is going to be box to box, and if Ozil was in the team, maybe you'd play him at 10, but maybe you'd play Shaka sitting kind of next to Like, you know, and, and it's going to be whichever right back I think is the best right back, and Tierney's going to play as a fullback, and we're going to play in a two, and we'll see how it goes, and we're going to ship some goals, but we're going to score. Like, is there a danger, especially when you've been sitting next to this mad scientist innovator, you know, learning football, but where he had all this immense talent and you could afford to bench um, Leroy Sané because you just play Sterling and Mares, you know, whoever, the, whoever that Bernard, right? Like, um, 
Is that a guy, Bernard? Did I just Bernardo. Bernardo. Bernardo Silva. He's he's Bernard to me. Damn it. Um, uh, I guess my point is, is there a risk of being too clever by half when you have such a flawed team? Possibly, but I I don't think I entirely subscribe to that. I, you know, there is maybe an argument: simplify things, put the stabilizers on, but then it's like, and then what? Once you do that, I I do think a manager has to commit to what they want to do. And look, we're not going to do it as well as Pep's Man City because you know because Pep turned over some players. You know, uh, looked at the likes of Sanya and Clichy and said no thanks. Um, but then he's still got like Otamendi um, in there and John Stones and you know still is really struggling to find a replacement for Fernandinho. So you know it's it, he's not entirely been you know he, he doesn't field 11 world-class players close to it but there are some flawed players in there i i do think that a manager does have to commit um to to something and commit to what they think the best way is um and and i do like i do broadly think he's doing the right thing and and look we we kind of complain i know i complained about emery for kind of you know, playing his formation for a few games and then just completely abandoning abandoning it and then just kind of, you know, messing around. I think if if you want to move forward, the best thing Arteta can do is play his way and say, this is the way we're playing and say to the guys above him, that gives you a really clear template for the type of players I need to play this football. And no, we're not going to play it as well as Manchester City, but, you know, I, I think I think you do better if you if you get commitment, if you get buy in and not just from your players, but from your executive staff as well. So you don't get stuff like the manager saying, I want Zaha and the executive team going, well, you're getting Pepe. So fuck off. Um, I, I, I do think it needs to be joined up. I think the problem, particularly when you first start with pragmatism is you just end up doing what Emery did and not settling on anything and confusing everyone I do think you've got to put you've got to put the mold in place and then you've got to figure out who can fit that mold and who can't I I don't think at the start of a job that you can go right let's just be pragmatic for now and see where it goes because then you just end up trying to make ends meet for your whole tenure and it probably doesn't work um, so for, for me, I, I want Arteta to play his football um, and and for us to recruit around that and see where we go from there. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I, I mean, I think the hard part for me here is we lose this game by beating ourselves. But the way you eliminate that variance to some extent is you just you you score goals and create you create chances and score goals during your periods of dominance. The reason we didn't beat Leicester wasn't because of the red card. It was because during a period of really good dominance in the first half, we didn't get the second goal. The reason we didn't beat Spurs, sure, we gave them a goal at 1-1. But during a period of dominance where we had 80% of the ball, we didn't create the chances and didn't get a goal to take the lead. And so, Paul, I mean... You look at this team and the paucity of goals. I mean, we have conceded fewer goals than Chelsea by a lot since Project Restart. But they have scored a lot more than we do. We don't score a lot of goals. And I already gave you the midfield stats of where we rank in terms of creativity. So I want to point to the end of the game. I get it. Giving up the goal in on 81 minutes was a shock. Because 
I said this on Twitter and, and Andrew Arsblog had a go at me. I said, this hurts so much more because I didn't see it coming. It's not that I didn't see it coming in the sense that I can't see Arsenal shitting the bed. It's that Spurs were so bad. I, at some point, I'd kind of gotten to the point where I was like, I mean, unless we give it to them, they're not hurting us. And we gave it to them. But at that point, and I get it was a shot, Paul, we had no shots the rest of the game. We played another 15 minutes. No shots. Um, it it was a really bad way to end a game against a team that's not good at defending. And I, you know, I look at the subs and I think, you know, we have anointed a lot of academy players and a lot of players as being the future. But we know realistically they're not all going to make it. And the level that we aspire to is a lot higher than where we are, obviously. How disappointed were you with the performance of the subs and just the team generally when we got pegged back to 2-1, not mustering any kind of response? I mean, by, by the way, can I just give you some stats here? So after they score, yeah. they had the next, they had four shots. We had none um, from 80-54 through stoppage time, which was what, four minutes, I think. Yeah. We just kind of disappeared as the game went on. Um and, you know, like I think individually the subs did a bit of stuff. I thought Cedric looked sharp. Um, I didn't feel a big miss there that he was on the pitch. I thought uh, Willock Willocked um, and, and had a couple of moments where he looked like he might get away from them. But the, the problem with all of those changes, you then hadn't we basically made five changes at that point? Mm. Um you do have that issue that your uh, your way of playing is now indistinct, um, and I think they came onto a team that wasn't didn't feel like to me like we were functioning then. Now, if you bring on some real quality, uh, as Tim talked about, for me the move was to bring Saka onto the left um, to give them all sorts of issues to worry about. And to give us somebody to aim at, we we didn't have an organizing principle. I think is the problem with these subs. You didn't have that have that one player you bring on where you say, "Let's look to play through this guy." And I think that the move was Saka to the left, Aubameyang through the middle, um, and then maybe you do something. Maybe you do Nelson, or you you don't versus Pepe. But I can I can see why we wanted to fix that wing. Let's just say in terms of the. The water that uh, Mustafi was finding himself in, and how that, um, uh, and how we were struggling to keep possession and have any control on the on our right, and they were plundering it. So I get putting in maybe Nelson for Pepe for some more balance, for some control, hold on to the ball, um, but pull in Saka from on the left wing and give everybody somebody the hub to focus our direction for Sabias, for Chaka, for Tierney, etc. And I think my main problem with the 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 subs we brought on was we didn't have an organizing principle. I mean maybe it was Saka from the right, but uh it that wasn't enough of a difference maker. I, I think he can be okay from the right, but I think that drifting into that pocket in the in into midfield from the left is the killer move and we didn't have one and we didn't play it. Um you know the the individual substitutions being bad. I I I don't. I think it was less the players, more the fact that we didn't 
make them think as Tim talked about. We didn't make a chess move and we struggled from not having that player between the lines for most of the game and certainly towards the end. We didn't have that organizing principle. We didn't have a hub to play through and we probably only have one in our team these days without Ozil. Yeah, I think it is it is a really tricky situation to evaluate a team that has so little quality and a new manager trying to get his hands around it. And everybody has their hobby horse. You know, on Twitter, I'll get abuse because mm. we weren't harsh enough on Arteta. Or we'll get abused because, you know, we we did criticize Arteta. Or we we why are you criticizing Shaka? He, you know, we only win when he plays, or why don't you criticize Shaka more? He's clearly too limited. Like nobody really knows where to point the finger. And I think Clive, you've probably come closest to it in my estimation in just saying that like none of these guys are taking us where we need to go. If you said to me that I could sell every single player at Arsenal right now for their their max market value, you know, you know, not 200 million from Mustafi, but whatever, whatever their max market value is, and I can keep whoever I want. There's three players I'm keeping, maybe. You know, I mean, if my goal is to build a title win, you know, if my goal is to get up from eighth to sixth or ninth to seventh, you know, fine, keep them all. That's not our goal. So, how do you approach the end of the season if you're Mikel Arteta? Is it use it as an opportunity to get a look at the young players? Is it Try a couple different systems and see what works. Is it keep doing what you're doing and just hope that something clicks? I mean, how? Obviously, we have the semifinal against City, and that still counts. But with Liverpool um, coming up, you know, in the league, you know, a game like that against a team that doesn't have much to play for, but just still so much better than us. How do you? How do you think Arteta should approach the, these last few games of the season? Although I sort of I hear what Tim's saying about um, play the way you should play because at least you you can have a message to the board etc about what you need to buy, but I, I can also see it from uh, from Arteta's point of view. He he he's trying to put out a side to get the results to, in the best way and get results. The fact he's got to do this tells you about our lack of quality. I think we all agree. And this is a system that is the one that's going to cause us the least issues. But then it grows up other issues if you don't have the right players available, if you don't have the right level of energy and one-on-one merchant. So I, I would keep going the same way. I maybe I would change a couple of personnel maybe. But I do think results change things. You know, when we won our four straight, we were feeling different. We've had a couple of knocks in the road and we look at the next two games and we're thinking, oh my goodness, this weekend's not going to be great. You know, so it, so you start to sort of, you know, panic a little bit inside. But I would just go back to what we were doing. I maybe flick a couple of personnel around and I would just keep doing it because this is all we can do. We've got some key players that are going to be missing. We've got some, well, I say key players, we've got a defender or two, a defender or two that's injured. We got a striker that's suspended. We got, you know, a centre midfielder that's got spat his dummy out, and we got another, our number ten that's patting his money under his bed, right on his way to the cash point. Right, that's he, all he, he has got to an do. awesome job. <laughs> oh, wonderful! And so we got a situation where we got, we just got a few things. We got a few issues. So where do we, where do you go with this? Some people say, you know, we got to get into Europe because of the money, etc. I personally don't give a monkey's. Arsenal need to focus on rebuilding, on players with the all-round ability to play different game scenarios. The moment the game scenario moves away from a key skill set of certain individuals, they are lost. 
If some are exposed, if some are run, if it's not on their right foot or on their left foot, they are lost. They are actually lost. And that's a real, real indictment on our recruitment. And so I would focus on just keep this moving, try to get as many results as possible outside of Europe. It won't worry me because that's 20 million quid we lose. I don't care. Let let the owner sort that out. The most important thing is we recruit, we rebuild, and we have time on the coaching field next season to focus on every Premier League game like it's an FA Cup final. And that's how you rebuild our sporting name. You don't do it by charging around Europe to empty, half-empty grounds, depending on the COVID situation, etc., just stretches out the club's resources, stretches out our energy at a time when we're building young players, bedding in new players, hopefully. And I just don't see that as a positive, as, as a benefit. The guy needs time. He needs to build some defensive stability to allow his forward players to play with less stress. And that's what needs to happen because our forward, this, this is actually affecting our forwards as well because they are thinking they've got to take their chances because if they don't, we're going to let one in. And that's a stress you don't want. And you know, in these last few games, Bami have missed a few chances. And I read somewhere he's not scored away from home since January. These are these are worries. Considering that Lacazette barely scores away from home, although he's got a couple now. This is a worry. This is a real worry. We can look at the root causes of that. But actually, it comes down to stability, having the right players with the right quality to allow you to do more things in more areas of the football pitch that's going to challenge your opponent, either technically, physically, but particularly in one-on-ones. Those players we no, we no longer have, mm. we no longer invest in, and in fact, people are encouraged by one-on-ones against us, and that's a real indictment of where we are. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, synopsis of it. I don't think there's much more to cover. I think what I would say is that, like, look, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I hear you disagreeing with me, but bear with me for a second. I know the reason we lost this game is because our defenders are terrible. I think that the defenders being terrible is a situation we've allowed to develop at the club through some really, really questionable choices. And I mean, we re-signed David Luiz, and I think because Mustafi had a nervous breakdown on the pitch and because Kolasinac gave the game away in a respect, Luiz gets to fly under the radar in a game that I thought was terrible. Doing all the things Clive criticizes him for, just dropping too deep, not switching on, being lazy, giving the ball away under no pressure... All three of them were bad. Luis is supposed to be the leader and there's no leadership there. I get it. You're not going to win games with defenders playing at that level. But those are the defenders we have. And so I look at us with 14 draws and terrible creativity from midfield and goal scoring numbers that are as bad as they've been in three decades. And I say, with the players we have, that part of it should be fixable. The bad, We can't be good defensively with bad defense. And, and this is a problem, right? You can overcompensate. You can say our defenders are so bad that I have to set this team up super conservatively and hope I can hide them. How do you win games that way? How do you win games? You don't win games that way. And we don't need one point. We need three. We got 14 draws. You turn four of those draws into wins. You're looking at a totally different season, but you got to go forward to do that, not constantly try to protect that weak-ass back line. So it's a tricky situation for Arteta, and I just think try to find a way to unlock the attack because you're not going to be able to hide these guys. Cola is irredeemable. Mustafi is irredeemable. Luis is irredeemable. These guys are not good enough. Holding, obviously, not trusted. 
look, Saliba's going to come in and be peak Cannavaro, peak Virgil van Dijk combined. He's going to be the greatest central defender in the history of humanity. You throw Pablo Marie next to him, is clearly going to be uh, twice as good as Pear in his pomp and, and will win the league. So it'll all be good. Let's leave it there. Um, you know, I, the Liverpool game will be interesting. I'm really curious to see what Arteta does in these sort of free hit games. Now, the City game is the big game, the last big game of the season, unless we win it, of course. Um, and and who wouldn't put their money on us given their form? But the league games are free hits now. And I'm curious to see, does he get playful? Does he, does he get creative? Or, or does he try to stick with this and build from what he maybe believes is a base of, of progress? Guys, I think the one thing we maybe did a disservice to in this game here is just that we probably didn't emphasize some of the periods of dominance, but I think given how bad Spurs are, I don't know that we get bonus points for having the ball a lot against a bad team. So uh, I think we should leave it there. We'll we'll come back with a a preview pod for Liverpool tomorrow, instant reaction pod as well, and then another full pod. We'll have a squad building um, sort of symposium. (laughs) Let's call it that. Uh, Coming up in the weeks ahead, and we're working on putting that together, and that should be interesting because I think squad building is really the the bigger issue at the club right now. Um, if we're going to make the most of the time Arteta's at the club, we're going to have to build him a squad he can win with. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim, do you agree with my assertion that actually Spurs don't get to celebrate because we lost the game, they didn't win it? Are you are you fine with that? Yeah, let, fine with that. Let's go with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter. Just Roberto. Thanks, man. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, big thanks to Scott, who appeared in this pod via me reading out his three paragraphs about the midfield, which I thought was interesting. Um, it's, gosh, who would want to be Mikel Arteta right now? I mean, I would. You'd be handsome and rich, but aside from that. And anyway, uh, there's always more football, and that's the good news. So I hope you're staying healthy, staying safe, staying as happy as you can, despite the, the result um, in the Derby. And who knows, maybe we'll... We'll find a way to, to have some fun at Liverpool's expense the next day. So stay stay safe, everybody. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool Mill. No.